Hello, welcome to another episode of Unpacking Neuroqueerness. This is your host, George Muniz Gund. Today I have another very special guest back on the podcast, Ashra, the autistic thrifter on Instagram. Some of you may remember episode 127 with Ashra. Uh, feel free to check that one out as well if you haven't. Um, and yeah, so Ashra and I are going to talk about, um, well, okay, welcome Ashra, first of all. Hello, thank you for having me back. I'm excited to be doing another podcast together. Yeah, thank you for coming on. Me me too. I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to talking to you today, especially about uh, your uh you're studying uh, your studies in psychology and then also like a little bit about your work as a TA and then also what it's been like leading these um, support groups for autistic adults um, and uh, filling a gap and, and that is very needed. Um, and so, yeah, uh, my first question for you today is what led you to... When was it roughly and what led you to decide that you wanted to study psychology and did that have anything to do with your personal experiences as an undiagnosed autistic and OCD person? Yeah, definitely. So I think I first developed an interest specifically in psychology in my freshman year of college. Um, So it was right when I was starting out. I always had an interest in people and that's one of the things that actually was pointed out to me a lot growing up which was that instead of like talking to people I would often just stare at them or observe them and it would really I think annoy people sometimes but it was because I was always trying to learn about myself through other people and also just trying to understand why I felt so disconnected and out of place. So I tried doing that through observing people. So I think I always had an interest in humans, in how people's minds work, um, why they make the choices that they make, why there seems to often be this feeling of like existential loneliness for a lot of people. And I, yeah, I've always just wanted to learn more about that. Um, And then also things like mental health struggles have been of interest to me because I related to a lot of mental health struggles that I learned about in my psychology courses and stuff. Um, And I think I wanted to get into psychology because of the struggles that I was having and I didn't know what they were and how to navigate them. So I wanted to learn more about them. Um, When I was in my soft, no, my freshman year of college, I really did want to study psychology, but a lot of people in my life told me that it would not be a good field to go into because they said it was very saturated in terms of how many psychology students there were. And then there weren't that many opportunities after college for psychology students, which really is not true. And it was not good advice that was given to me, but that's what I was told. And so I tried to re-navigate and focus on something else. So I actually started as a chemistry major, which I absolutely hated and ended up, uh, like I, I basically was a chemistry major 
and then I undid that and went undeclared uh, after my first chemistry class because I was like, this is not for me. I'm going to be miserable if I continue this. So I was undeclared for a large portion of my freshman year. And then I switched to environmental studies, which was really interesting, but it still wasn't exactly right for me. And then I actually switched to marine biology. So I was really all over the place, but all pretty much like science-y related fields. Yeah. Um, and then that was the end of my freshman year. I ended that way. And then I transferred schools. I went to Binghamton University because I started at University of Rhode Island. I didn't like it. So then I went to Binghamton University. And that was where in my sophomore year, I finally decided that I for sure wanted to do psychology, uh, regardless of the advice that I'd been given not to do it. Um, and it was great. I loved all my psychology courses. I didn't do as well in like the math heavy courses, but in the courses that were all about like memory and learning about how the human brain works in the mind, those are the ones that I really excelled in. And then I went on afterwards to do my master's in psychology as well. Mm -hmm. Oh, nice. Lovely. Yeah. Um, and what was that? Um, what was the college experience like for you? Um, like in terms of, uh, so did you live on campus? And um, what was like, what was interacting with um, the other students? Uh, what was that like? It was awful. It was the worst time of my life. I, I hated it. Um, it was the closest I'd ever been to, uh, I I mean, like tr trigger warning, I think. The closest I'd ever been to like mm. feeling very suicidal. Um, it was a big struggle. I was very depressed. I was going to a lot of different therapists throughout college trying to figure out what was going on. Um, and I was constantly just told that it was like depression or social anxiety, which it really, I mean, I was very depressed, but that was not like the root of the problem. Uh, the depression was coming from being undiagnosed and not understanding what was happening and not understanding my brain and why I was struggling so much. Um, but during college is when I started really, really consciously masking and try and in a very social way trying to change all of my innate behaviors and feelings to match what I thought I was supposed to be experiencing and what I thought I was supposed to be doing so I tried to push myself really hard in those years to be social and to make friends and to like just have the college experience I guess that you always are told you're going to have. Um, and it really didn't work for me. And I, I even tried joining a sorority, which was terrible, terrible. I, I couldn't deal with uh, constantly having to be involved in social events with so many other people. Because in the sorority, they kind of make it mandatory that you have to attend certain things. They mandate the things that you have to wear. And it was just... I mean, as someone that also struggles with um, PDA, which is... Pathological uh, demand avoidance. Yeah, there's no... What is the other name for it? It's like 
persistent drive for autonomy. I think oh, I've been hearing a lot. Okay, yeah, I like that one. Mm-hmm. I like it too. Um, I struggle with that for sure. So being told that I had to dress a certain way and that I had to go to all these things that I didn't want to go to, it was really hard for me. And I ended up dropping out, of course, because I was like, I can't do this. Um, so I dropped out of it and it was a hard time for me. I was living with my best friend and also a couple of other people. And it was a big struggle for me because my best friend really wanted to involve me in group hangouts and social situations with, with her other friends. And I was constantly declining and saying no. And, um, I remember specifically there was, they were doing a Friendsgiving. So it was like Thanksgiving, but they wanted to do it as a group of friends and they invited me. And there were so many things about that, that made me anxious. It was like the fact that I felt like I would have to mask so heavily. I felt like I didn't know how to hang out in a group with multiple people. I didn't know how to interact with multiple people all at once. And sitting at a table, knowing that we would all be making eye contact with each other, watching each other eat, and I would have to eat their food and stuff. And, oh, my God, it stressed me so badly. So I remember that I told them I would come for a little while, that I wouldn't be able to eat their food, and I'd probably leave early. And I just know that people... It, it always gave the impression that I didn't want to be with them or that I didn't like them. And it was never that. It was just that I really, at the time, because of the mix of having to mask so much, feeling so much pressure to mask with feeling such a heavy depression, it put me in a place where I just could not interact with people, especially multiple people at once. And that was kind of my whole experience through college. It was just like a constant feeling of pressure and depression and an inability to do the things that I saw the people around me doing, uh, an inability to connect and make friends that felt real and authentic to me. Um, and I was just so anxious and, oh yeah, that was when I was having what I thought what I thought were very intense panic attacks. So um, that was another reason why I did get diagnosed with social anxiety at the time, because what I had reported to the therapist was, or I think it was a psychiatrist actually, what what I reported was that I felt like I lost the ability to speak when I got really anxious and like the, like I had to turn everything off and like, like, my brain couldn't focus on anything and I had to like isolate and get to a dark, quiet place, which knowing now that sounds exactly like a shutdown. Yeah, a shutdown. But uh, at the time they thought it was repeated panic attacks. Mm-hmm. And so they were like, well, this is happening in social situations. It must be social anxiety. Um, so that's, yeah, I was having a lot of panic attacks at the time. I was also drinking very heavily to try and cope with all of these feelings, which then made it way worse so it was altogether a really bad time in my life well thank you for sharing that um i'm really glad that you were you know able to eventually get through it and um you know get support and and then of course by getting the diagnosis um you know 
to be able to like understand yourself and accept yourself and and be in um relationships with people that like understand you and won't make you feel judged or um anything you know like or excluded or misunderstood because i can certainly relate to um that feeling of not being understood and having so many things that i'm sensitive to but people won't understand like the when you were talking about the friends giving dinner like i you know the the like for me too like i i would be thinking about like overstimulation about like noise about the food about like certain foods that i can't eat because of texture because that's been a big thing for me lately is figuring out like that all these sensitivities i've had to certain foods since i was younger that would always get labeled as pickiness um it was actually like i'm i'm sensitive to the texture of this food and it like there are food because i've started reading about like other autistics talking about it too like oh my god like i'll i'll eat um a certain like certain kind of foods that we eat and that make us like we can't eat it without gagging it's like our our brain just does not accept it um and so all that kind of stuff but then also what you were talking about about people watching you eating because that's another thing that for me I just do not like being watched it's I it bothers me a lot like it makes me really anxious and uncomfortable when you know like especially if I'm eating but like even these little situations where like I'm in public or it's like I don't know someone and they like or I'm just in a kind of in like a sensory cocoon or whatnot and and they're like looking at me or like there's just something about that also and and I'm always because also like always worrying about like how they're gonna judge me and stuff um yeah um another thing I wanted to ask you about uh is what it's been like working as a TA, um, have you encountered any other neurodivergent students and, um, you know, how, what are like some of the things that you've observed and like some of the good things and some of the bad things maybe about the working as a TA, you're working as a TA at Harvard, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's honestly my my biggest highlight of working as a TA is when I meet other neurodivergent students, which I've met a couple autistic and a couple ADHD mm -hmm. students, which that's always really exciting to me because uh, it just feels like I connect with them really, really well. And like we understand each other uh, in, a, in a little bit of a deeper way sometimes than I feel with like uh, neurotypical students. Um, which I know that's a very generalized statement, you know, like that's not always the case, but I haven't met too many neurodivergent students, but the ones that I have met, I did really connect with one student in particular who I, um, she has ADHD and her and I developed a really nice, uh, I guess a friendship mm -hmm. throughout the semester, which was really fun. Um, and the thing I really like about being a TA 
is the discussions that we have. So a lot of the Harvard classes work where you'll have lecture and then there'll be like a section that is run by the TA. And in this section, the TA will kind of uh, prompt like a discussion, kind of similar to the groups, the groups that we do, uh, mm. that I run. Yeah. Um, and so I'll prompt a discussion and we'll talk about all different types of things related to the class. So I've TA'd for a class called motivation for one called developmental psychopathology, one, uh, psychology of close relationships and then mindfulness which is like a health psychology class and in all of them I've learned so much from the students that I have in my sections uh it's really really whoa did you see Cosby's I saw him, yeah. um it's really fun being in a learning environment that's always the happiest place for me aside from college college was the worst place for me mm -hmm. but being in class I really love uh, being a student is probably my most favorite thing that I ever could be, uh, which is why I keep trying to go back to school because that's when, when I'm the happiest is when I'm in school. Um, but the next best thing, if I can't be in school, is to be teaching. Mm -hmm. So I love the learning environment and I love reading their papers. I learn a lot from them. And I also really love that in in my schooling, I've often had TAs that weren't engaged in the subject. You could tell they were just doing it for like a credit. They didn't really want to do it. And I really like having the opportunity to not give that experience to the students, to give them experience, to give them an experience where they can see that their TA is really, really involved and passionate about the topic. Because I do all psychology courses, so I'm passionate about all of them. So... I like giving them a good experience and probably the thing that makes me the happiest about TAing is in the beginning of the semester, I try to be very brave and on the first day that I meet them, I tell them that I'm autistic. Mm. And so even if I don't teach them anything else, like even if they get nothing else from me, even if they hate the class, at least they're leaving knowing that I'm autistic and that can maybe change their view of autism a little yes, bit. And so that sure. really means a lot to me when I get to share that with them. For sure. I think that's that's really amazing because it really does challenge the the stigmas and stereotypes that people end up associating with autism and it happened to me in a way in the acting program that I took. I took this acting course in the Meisner Technique. Um, it was like a two-year program. And so one nice thing, one of the nice things about it was that I got to get to know my classmates very well over time. And, you know, they got to know me pretty well. And um, it maybe halfway through that program or so, I ended up telling everyone that I was autistic and I was able to talk a little bit about autism. And it actually, it happened to come up because uh, one of my, so this, uh, two of my classmates were working on a scene and 
they were basically doing, it was like an exercise where they basically do these little scenes. Um, so like they add things, like adding things about their characters, like um, they, they were having a kid. And I think in, I'm not, I think it was like in their script or something. I'm not sure if it was part of their script or if it was something that they added, but that their kid was uh, autistic or they, um, and so they did this scene where they like, it was just, I don't blame them, but it, it showed me that they had like a misconception or a stigmatization of what autism was because they did this scene where they found out from they were finding out from the doctor before the child was born like the doctor was telling them that the child was going to be autistic and there was like this vibe I just remember like watching it and there was like this vibe of like worry and like concern and like what are we gonna do and this is kind of like as if the child had been diagnosed with like cancer you know or something really like a serious disease um and i'm just like and i'm like this is the first thing i thought was like okay but you can't tell if someone is autistic before birth and you can't usually tell until from what i've read until like age three or four um so I'm like, okay, like, that's one thing. And then it was just this whole, like, it was this whole, like, um, mentality, like, scary, like, this whole, like, kind of autism speaks kind of yeah, vibe. Yeah. And I was like, so then I was able to, it was interesting because it was, like, at the end of that class and our teacher was, like, asking everyone, like, if they had anything to say about the class or about any of the scenes and I remember speaking up in a very cordial way like non not like I wasn't upset necessarily at anyone I was just like I used it as an opportunity to be like oh so you know I I wanted to talk about like the thing that came up with with autism because I'm actually autistic myself and um you know like I feel like there was a vibe of a very like scared kind of vibe around it and um you know like this is not it's not all like scary like of course you're gonna need like some supports but um you know it's like I've I've started I talked about how I started viewing my autism a lot um and then a lot more of a positive light not to say that the struggles don't exist and i still acknowledge that the struggles exist and we need support for them but like to also acknowledge like when i started thinking more of it from a neuro of it more from a neurodiversity perspective um and like oh my brain works differently and and that's okay instead of being like oh my god my brain is is di is like broken or disordered or or whatnot, um, and I just talked about how that was so impactful for me, and it really like impacted my classmates as well, especially the people that did the scene, and that um, 
my friend Christina, who's my friend to this day now, like uh, a couple years after the training, um, she, uh, you know, offered to, like, she, she offered to talk more about it. Like, um, she said that if I was, you know, if I wanted to, if I felt like talking more about it or sharing with her and that, you know, she would love insight on, like, if I'm comfortable providing it, like, insight on um, how to navigate the scene or, like, to not misrepresent and, and make sure that it's, like, uh, um, not not stigmatizing or anything, but also to just, like, talk a little bit about myself and my experiences and... Because um, there are some things I talked about that she could relate to, like... Um, introvertness and, and stuff um but anyways it was just it it felt really good because it was like when I started I think it was the first time that I was like I shared it with a group like a class and that I felt um like accepted and um under and it just like the fact that they wanted to learn more like having them be curious and want to learn more um, feels really good too. And it, it, you see, you see the change happening. You see them kind of changing any kind of stigmatized ideas they might have of autism. So yeah, like that, I can certainly really relate to. Um, I know I did go on a little bit of a tangent. Um, oh, no, I, I liked but, hearing that story. Yeah. I, it's it's definitely like a similar feeling and you said um they like had curiosity about it and I think that's so awesome because to me it's like when I tell someone and they kind of just like ignore it it's it's kind of like bad because then I'm like I'm like maybe they don't even believe me or maybe mm -hmm. they just like don't care at all about learning about that this huge like piece of me or part, or, I mean, it's, it is me, so, um, yeah, I love when people come at it and approach it with curiosity, because then it shows, like, a true interest in wanting to learn more, even if they have been misled, or, like, have, um, you know, an increased stigma around it, um, wanting to learn more about it is, really great yeah definitely like that's definitely one of the things I appreciate the most is when I think that like when people are like curious and they want to learn and they want to know instead of like trying to minimize it or doubt it or say oh but you're high functioning whatever that's supposed to mean to neurotypical standards mm -hmm. um and or that it's I must it must be mild or whatever or something like that um or and sometimes it's not always like them it's like they're just legitimately like confused because it's it's not meeting what the what they've been told or what they've been taught um but it's so nice when when I get curiosity because sometimes they just kind of invalidate or they'll treat you differently and they'll kind of like treat you like you they kind of start like they might start infantilizing you or not taking you seriously or, mm -hmm. you know, just assuming that you can't like assuming that you can't do certain things um, 
just because you're autistic and um anyways yeah it's it's i always um feel good about that another thing i feel really good about is when they take that information that you've told them or what they've learned about autism and they they think about it like like your sensory stuff like they 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 check in with you like if if the place is too loud or you know do you want to see the menu before or this is the place we're going to um like those little accommodations um they that can go a long way as well and i think makes for a lot of us i, I know it makes us feel like more seen and understood Absolutely. Yeah, it means so much when, when people like really take in the, you know, like the experiences that you're telling them about and, and then they afterwards kind of can, yeah, like can just help with accommodations and stuff. And it's really appreciated. Uh, like you said, like, just little things like checking in, like if you're in an, in a loud environment and, and they ask if you're all right, or like, if you want to if you want to leave and just being understanding of all of that is really, really nice. And it's not a typical experience that a lot of us have because it is so misunderstood. Yeah, for sure. Um, on that, I don't know. I just wanted, before I move on to the next topic, um, I wanted to mention also from earlier, you were talking about how you've had, you've always had like a strong passion for, understanding people and like connecting with them and and reading um you know kind of you know just like figuring out what they're about and really getting to the core of like their their story and their values and everything and you were talking about how you really like building legitimate connections with the students as a TA um and yeah I really I really like that and I really relate to that like I've been discovering that a lot about myself lately is that in like I've always had this passion from when I was younger as well of like understanding people and studying them and getting to know them and I think part of that comes from masking because we want to fit in so we part of the masking is like studying the heck out of people and um like their patterns and everything and and then we also just like kind of get to know um people's personalities too um but then i also discovered that like neurotypical society neurotypical socialization culture can be very superficial and it saddens me how so many people get um they don't like it if you have like the deep conversations and they just they just prefer the small talk and that's like part of the reason why I've always struggled with small talk is because I just there's no meat to the conversation there's no like we're not getting anywhere it just feels like we're just going in circles um, and I'm not getting to know this person like I'm not getting to know their values I'm not getting to know like who they are, like, what's their story, um, and, like, because I feel like that's what really fascinates me, whereas if someone wants to just have, because I read something about, like, someone, I think it was an autistic person saying, 
I don't care if you like pineapple on pizza or not. I want to know like your who you are, like what uh what drives you, what's your story, you know, like what are your values, like um and that I just resonated so much with that because I feel like there's like a lot of people they just stay on like the the pineapple on pizza thing or whatever, like it's very it's very superficial. It feels very superficial. Um, so I always like it when... And then you can kind of tell when the person is like invested in the conversation. And and when they're like... Um, it just feels more more authentic. It feels like you can tell when they're like trying... And they're trying really hard to just keep this conversation. But you know that they're doing it because they feel like they have to. Right. That's the worst. That's the worst feeling when you know that the person that you're talking to is like, you know, looking for any way out. And like, you can tell they're not actually like interested in really talking to you. They're just doing it like for, for casual politeness or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it's just so, so boring. And it's so like, I, I can't sit in that inauthenticity. It's so uncomfortable. It is so uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah, me too, for sure. But I am kind of curious now. Do you like pineapple on pizza? I I personally don't. My sister really does, though. How about you? I don't think I like it. Yeah, I don't like it. I think in general, pineapple. It's it. I there's something about the taste that, and I think maybe the texture too. Like I don't know. Like I think dried pineapple candy or something like that. I might eat. Um, but yeah, like if I were, I think there's something texture wise or, or, or the taste even pineapple just doesn't, yeah. It's definitely very like, I think maybe it's very acidic or something cause it mm-hmm. definitely hurts my tongue. It like yeah. burns my tongue. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also, I think another reason why I don't like the pineapple on the pizza is cause Pineapple's really juicy and like has a lot of water, so it's a little bit weird to put something watery on pizza. Yeah. <laughs> I don't really like sweet and salty together. Yeah, no, me neither. I agree. That's another thing for me. Um it makes it kind of soggy the water and then it's also like the it's sweet yeah. and salty. It's just weird. Yeah. I can't like I I like if I'm having like one like, if I'm having pizza, I, I think it should be salty, so I'm expecting salty, and I would just mm-hmm. rather it all just be salty instead of, like, a random sweetness. It kind of confuses my mouth. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I've also... So, uh, I, I guess, yeah, I've also... The other thing, um, I also had... Uh, you've talked about your passion for science. And... Yeah. Um, I also have a I've I've had a really strong passion for science since when I I was younger and it's kind of interesting for me like um one funny thing is that a lot of people um they use the weather like for small talk like it's but for me it's a special interest um yeah. and so I'll info dump about the weather and it's the funniest thing because people will like come up to me and bring up something about the weather like as small talk. Yeah. 
and then I'll start info dumping about it, and I'll get so excited, and I'm info dumping, and I'm maybe two minutes into like info dumping, and their face just goes like they're so confused. They're like, because yeah, they had no idea because they thought we were just gonna gonna do small talk about it, and I just start talking all about it. Yeah, that's funny. I that's funny you mention it because. Um, for a very long time, I had a special interest in, um, like nutrition and exercise and stuff. So if someone made small talk about like, what did you eat today? I would then do an info mm. dump about like everything. And then I would want them to do the same, but they wouldn't really reciprocate it the same way. Cause they wouldn't tell me like exactly what they eat or the order, which is what I wanted them to do. Mm. But it is kind of funny because for a long time my main way of like talking to people was just to ask them what the, what they ate today exactly what they ate today mm -hmm. and in the order that they ate it and so my friends and family were like why do you keep asking this yeah. and why mm -hmm. do you need all this information mm -hmm. i was like i just need you to tell me everything you ate yeah <laughs> yeah um what has it been like uh creating uh content and when when did you start uh when was it that you started creating content and um what was how has that whole experience been i know your instagram has grown exponentially over the last couple months um i started following you i think you had forty thousand followers and i you're like seventy thousand now yeah, yeah, almost there. Amazing. Yeah. Um, so I started, I think, so basically last year, uh, right around this time was when I started my autism diagnosis assessment. And so I had like, I think two sessions that were a few hours each. And so it was when I started, a little bit before I started having those sessions, that I was like, okay, I really want to start an account about autism awareness and acceptance and support, but I don't really feel comfortable doing it yet until I have the professional diagnosis because I had a lot of imposter syndrome about it, and it just made me nervous uh, to start it without the professional diagnosis, even though, I mean, I don't, there are so many self-diagnosed people that have amazing accounts about autism awareness acceptance and just their experiences and it's so valuable um but I personally just really wanted to have that professional backup and even though I was sure about my self-diagnosis but also had imposter syndrome so I waited until right after I I officially got the confirmation uh from the psychologist I think it was within a week of that that I started the account and uh so it was I think it was in January of last year so it's almost been exactly a year and I remember starting out with reels and stuff and I just completely like didn't know how to work Instagram reels and it was hard learning it and I look back at some of my old videos and I'm like, oh my God, this is so embarrassing. <laughs> but I archived a lot of those. So those aren't even on my Instagram anymore. Um, the ones where I didn't even know how to like do the technical aspect of the editing. So like 
you could see all of the cuts between each of my like when I would take the video of myself you could like see each of the cuts and it was just like not very good editing but uh I learned it and now I feel like I have a pretty good understanding about reels and Instagram and I try to do like trending stuff I try to take trends and I like to say autistify them because mm. I make them like autism related yeah. or something somehow. That's one of my favorite things to do is make it make something that's like a general trend and make it autism content. Um, but it's been really great having the account. I did not expect that it was going to grow this way this fast. Um, I was very surprised and I'm very grateful and excited that people are enjoying it. Um, and it's been great because it was also a catalyst for the support groups. Yeah. Yeah, that's um so another major thing that I wanted to ask you is the support groups, like how it's been um starting your website and offering support groups for um autistic adults and uh I know that is a that is um something that is definitely uh deeply needed so i think it's amazing that you're filling this gap um because i i actually remember myself uh as of recently just as of the last couple years like searching for support groups for autistic adults and not really finding anything neurodiversity affirming um, a lot of what I was finding was autism support groups led by neurotypical parents of autistic children with a very pathologizing, biased perspective on autism. Um, so I think it's so amazing that you have started these groups. And yeah, I'm wondering like what uh led you to um i remember you actually mentioned to me once that your dad uh gave you the idea and um and so yeah like what has it been like like leading these groups uh well first i want to say that i really appreciate your support because you are like one of my number one supporters mm -hmm. of these groups because you're you you come to the series and stuff and i always get so excited when I see that you sign up because I'm like, yes, George is coming to another group. Oh, nice. So happy. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Me too. Uh, yeah, it's been great. Um, so the reason why I felt comfortable starting these groups is because one of the professors that I was a TA for at Harvard, she taught motivation, and she still does, but I'm not a TA for her at this time. Um but she had her own mental wellness startup that was all about um, leading groups uh, for employees. And so I was on her team for that. So I was trained in group facilitation through her. Uh, and she's like an expert on group dynamics and stuff. So it was really amazing learning from her. And so because I have that background of group facilitation, I felt comfortable and equipped to lead these groups. And I of course, specifically wanted it to be for autistic adults, because like you said, there's really very little support and resources for autistic adults. I mean, autism in general 
uh, for all ages is really like very slim resources and the resources available are often like ABA centered and that can be really traumatizing for a lot of people. So altogether, there needs to be like a revamp of the resources and support that people have access to. Um, but autistic adults in particular have low resources available to them. And that is because a lot of our research is centered around children because a lot of people falsely believe, I think, that autism is like really a childhood thing and that's not the case. Mm -hmm. And that's been the case with all of the, any courses that I've had that referenced autism at all. It was always talking about autism in childhood, never about adulthood, never about, you know, autism through development. It was always just that stereotypical, like, little boy that is autistic and loves trains. And, um, of course, that's a valid autistic presentation, but it's not the only one. (laughs) And so I really wanted to make it for autistic adults. And I used the background of group facilitation that I learned from that professor in order to kind of design these groups. And I... I made it a series. At first I was doing drop-ins where it was just one group that you could come to. But now I'm doing a series because I found that when it was the drop-in groups, there wasn't really a big chance to foster a deeper connection amongst the group because it was, you know, we were seeing each other for an hour and then leaving and never seeing each other again. So I thought the series where we meet four times every month would, would be better for connection because I think autistic adults oftentimes we want more access to support and we also I think want to often connect with other autistic adults because there can be so much loneliness with feeling like you've grown up your entire life being misunderstood and not having people around you that get it or relate So having the opportunity to be in a group with other adults that have similar experiences and feelings to you can be so validating and to really learn so much too about other experiences that maybe you don't have. So that was really my, my ultimate goal with these groups was to foster connection amongst the adult autistic community. Yeah. Fantastic. No, I think that is, super uh super awesome and super important um and i've i've experienced that as well um being a part of the support groups that you've led um of of like being able to at the same time as like i'm able to relate to so many different things and experiences that everyone talks about and particularly about um you know, how we interact or how other people interact with us, but also learning like everyone's own story and experiences and nuances and intersectionality and different dynamics and everything um, has been really impactful and I think really helpful and, and just good in general, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I think it's, it's definitely been really awesome, like connecting with other autistic adults and just like having an opportunity to 
like actually see that there's other autistic adults that have similar experiences because for a long time I was like okay maybe I really am the only one that feels this way like maybe there is no one else and I don't like there's just something with me but seeing that there's other people that like do completely get it and feel similar ways it's like really really eye-opening yeah for sure definitely um yeah well uh those are all the questions I had to ask you today. Um, I wanted to thank you once again for coming on. And uh, this was a really great conversation. Um, thank you everyone for listening. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Um, and yeah, uh, I will see you guys soon. Thank you. Thank you all for listening. Thank you for having me again.